This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined, as always, by fellow co-host and senior writer Dan Murphy. How are you, Dan? I'm back for another day, so uh, I guess all is good. Yes, and uh, a, a pretty quick turnaround for us for uh, the podcast. We just put one up last week, but it's for uh, a good reason. This is a biggie. We are going to be talking about the 2017 PWI 500, and in a moment we will um, hear from the number one ranked wrestler, uh, this year, uh, you're about to find out uh, who it is. So we're going to uh, talk about the number one rank, the top 10, and other highlights from the PWI 500. What year is this now for the 500? 91 it started. Yeah, you're right. So you, 27? Uh, 20, uh, you're making me do math. <laughs> I know. I, I, we, I need a we can work for WWE with our uh, math skills <laughs> in, in any event. Yes, so um, before we go to uh, the interview and kind of the reveal, um, let me tell you about how you can get the PWI uh, 500. Uh, the thing to do is go to pwi-online.com. Uh, I believe by the end of this week, if it isn't already by the time you're hearing this, it should be available for uh, digital download. Um, and uh, you can check it out on your laptop or your mobile device. It's customized for for the mobile device through the PWI uh, app. So I'll be interested to see what it looks like on uh, the app. This will be the first time that we're, we're doing that. Um, and also, of course, you can subscribe for the print edition, have it mailed to your uh, home, and uh, you'll get the print edition before anybody else um, gets it at, at the newsstands. Uh, and uh, by all means, pick up the one issue, but also, of course, we'd love for you to subscribe and for deeper savings. Um, you want to subscribe, the longer you subscribe, the, the more the discount, you can get more than half off of the cover price. Uh, so please do that. Go to pwi-online.com and check it out, the PWI uh, 500. It's, it's about the biggest issue we put out uh, all year. Um, before we give the, the usual, pl- well, usual plugs, follow us on Twitter, at official PWI, Facebook, um, subscribe, of course, to the, the uh, podcast on iTunes, all of that. Uh, email podcast at outlook.com. And a quick uh, plug for you, Dan. You're going to be uh, on the uh, Ross Report again with Jim Ross, right? Yes, I am. I, I recorded that last night. Uh, it comes out. Everything's kind of a blur this week, to be honest. Um, but I, I think it comes out uh, either tonight or tomorrow. Uh, so either Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, and I think the magazine will drop Wednesday. Um, but in any case, it's, it's like I said, it's a, a blur because this year in particular, it's a very historic 500 for us. Uh, and it's, it's exciting. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, without, uh, any further ado, uh, let's go to my interview and, uh, the reveal of this year's number one ranked wrestler in the 2017 PWI 500. All right, joining me right now, this is a a really big thrill, and uh, I I maybe say that too much, and I've certainly interviewed my share of wrestlers over the years, but this one really is an honor. Um, It is the 2017 number one ranked PWI 500 wrestler, and uh, very historic because... For the first time ever, we have ranked a Japanese wrestler at number one, and it is uh, none other than uh, IWGP heavyweight champion Kazuchika Okada, uh, who joins me right now uh, with his interpreter, Jengo. Um, I believe Okada's going to try to do some of this in English, and um, some of it may be interpreted. uh, But anyhow, thank you so much for joining me. As I said, uh, a real thrill. And I guess I would just begin by asking you, what does it mean to you uh, to be the first ever Japanese wrestler ranked number one in the PWI 500? So obviously, as the first uh, Japanese wrestler, he's very, very happy, but also uh, being able to spread uh, New Japan's kind of influence and, and uh, specialty in pro wrestling around the world is also really good to, uh, feeling for him. Is, uh, what does the PWI 500 mean in Japan? Obviously, you're in the United States, and, and me writing for the magazine, 
um, it, it's something that I've appreciated over the years as a very big deal, is uh, the PWI 500 something that there is an awareness of um, in Japan, both by wrestlers and wrestling fans? Uh, so to be honest, um, maybe wrestlers here and fans aren't so aware of it. But um, obviously, when uh, he was in TNA and, and you know, over in the States, he, he was aware of it and followed it. But he thinks, you know, now that he has made the list in the way he has, that it will definitely bring a lot more attention to it uh, here in Japan, to both uh, fans and wrestlers. Right. And uh, we took this fantastic photo of you from when you were in Los Angeles. That is the cover of the new magazine. And it's you holding some past issues of the PWI 500. And um, you may know some of the names that have been number one over the years. You're talking all-time greats, people like Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan and Triple H and John Cena. What does it mean to you to be in that company with those names? Well, I have a lot of respect for the, the legendary wrestlers, obviously, like you mentioned. Uh, but for me, honestly, I feel it's only natural for me to finally be uh, recognized in this position. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about the year you've had. It is as good a year for one wrestler as anybody I can remember, just an amazing 12 months. And um, if you hadn't already, I think over the last year, you really solidified your place uh, among the greats in, in Japanese wrestling history. Uh, and every time you're out there, you're putting on these matches that people are, are not just talking about as one of the best matches of the year. A lot of the matches you've had have been talked about as the greatest matches in wrestling history. What is the secret uh, behind that, the secret behind uh, the classic performances you have every time you go in the ring? When it comes to these big events that you're talking about, um, to me, honestly, it's, it's my routine at this point. So I don't really pay much attention and remember each one in a particular way because for me, this is just my natural course of doing my job. Um, when it comes to, you know, my entrance and the, you might call it the flair and the, the magic of the Rainmaker pose, for me, again, it's just part of my routine and I do it mainly for the, the fans that, were, you know, they're expecting it. So again, it's kind of like uh, just doing my job at this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mentioned your matches against uh, uh, Kenny Omega. I think those in particular, again, not, not talked about just as one of the best matches or three of the best matches of the year, but some of the best matches in the history of wrestling. With um, uh, uh, Omega in particular, when you went out there with him, was it your goal to have these all-time great matches, matches talked about as, as again, some of the best ever um, or was it just, you know, chemistry, just that you two work so well together? To put it simply, my goal was simply to win. Uh, unfortunately, it was against the kind of opponent that made it a, a bit of a bore for me, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> to do it multiple times, you know, again, that's my job, but it wasn't exactly the most exciting thing I was looking forward to. But the result was what it was. Different people debate which of those three matches was the best. Uh, is there one of those three that um, is your favorite? I imagine it's probably the one that you won. So out of the three, they all had a kind of special aspect to them, I would say, that I, I kind of would recall. So obviously the one I won, whereas victorious, is obviously very important to me. But then to go 60 minutes to a draw was pretty, pretty incredible as well. And then in the G1 as well, I gave it my all and it was a very, very memorable, memorable match. So the question now is what happens next? Now that we've seen us go up against each other and have all the outcomes you can think there can be, that's kind of where I'm thinking now. What else is there? Do you want to do it again? I mean, it, it, do you think there's a need for a match to settle it once and for all? 
So if I go down the checklist of the things you need for a match, uh, if my opponent Kenny wants it, and obviously if the fans want it, then that's my job. I'll 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 step up to the plate. Uh, but to be honest, I wouldn't mind a weaker opponent so I can take it easy a bit and not have to go another hardcore, pretty uh, tough match. Well, let me ask you a little bit about that, and this was on the list of, of uh, questions that I wanted to talk to you about. How are you feeling? I mean, the kind of matches that you've had over the last year, any one of them um, would be the, among the most physical that any wrestler would compete uh, in, in his history, and you've had so many. So after having these kind of matches, hour-long matches, and, and doing it a lot, um, with such a wide range of opponents. I know you're still just 29 years old, but how are you feeling physically, and um, do you think your body can hold up to, to this kind of pace, continuing wrestling uh, at this pace for, for the rest of your career? I am fine. <laughs> So, to answer your first question about how I'm doing, I'm feeling just fine. Um, and as far as uh, continuing at this pace, well, this is what I do for my future. And I don't really look at it as shortening anything in my career or, or causing any long-term you know, health concerns at all. This is simply uh, part of my drive to, to lead this company and be the champion. Now, if there were others in my shoes, I can see potential injuries for others, but I definitely take care of myself. And uh, like I said, this is what I'm gonna do. If it means keeping up at this pace, as you call it for me, this is just a normal, normal stride. And uh, again, even before you had these uh, matches with Kenny Omega, the this classic series of matches that that fans and um, writers are talking about as in the league of Ric Flair and Rick Steamboat as one of the all-time great rivalries and series of matches. Even before that, you had another one of those with uh, uh, Tanahashi, another just incredible series of matches that people talked about as uh, among the classic rivalries uh, of all time. Can you compare the two? Is there... Um, uh, one of those rivalries or one of those opponents, or are they closer to your heart? So, to be honest, not much difference really between the two, uh, besides the obvious. One's Japanese and one's a foreigner. But um, if I were to say one main difference in the feeling of the matches or the expectations of the matches is when it was against Kenny, I knew this match would resonate uh, much further than the shores of Japan. It would definitely be something uh, that would be taken uh, notice overseas. I, I know you guys have um, your issues and your, your rivalry, and I think it's a rivalry that I imagine will continue. But putting that aside, um, can you talk about what makes Kenny Omega special? He's also ranked very high this year in the 500. I think he's uh, number five, and a lot of people are talking about him as one of the best wrestlers in the world um, and maybe one day a future star here um, in, in the United States, what's your assessment of Kenny Omega? What makes him uh, such a special athlete? Well, you know, when I went up against him, I definitely felt that um, given his stature overseas, that it definitely did. I'll, I'll acknowledge that it did give me a little bit more exposure to fans overseas. So I'll give him that. Um, and also, He's what I would call somebody who's worthy as a w, IWGP heavyweight champion. He fits the bill as somebody that uh, I believe should be one fighting for that belt. Yeah, wow. Uh, and uh, with New Japan now uh, trying to make 
uh, more of an entry in the United States. I mentioned the show in Los Angeles that you were part of. Um, New Japan has created the United States title now. There's talk of running more shows here in the States. And I know uh, New Japan also does some work with Ring of Honor here uh, in the United States. All, all that said, how, how and, and now you being the number one wrestler in the PWI 500, an American wrestling magazine, a, a lot of American fans, the reality is probably um, don't know you. So how in, important is it for you to grow your fan base here in the United States? Well, now that I made the top, obviously, the PWI uh, 500, I expect uh, I should be coming back to the U.S. more often to grow on that. Uh, so I do appreciate that. Um, but, you know, one of my goals is obviously uh, to bring fans overseas here as well. So I would definitely feel honored and it would be a great uh, result if, for example, more fans from overseas came to Wrestle Kingdom more and more every year to experience it live. Um, but in the same sense, you know, if it means uh, we have to go out to L.A. and maybe New York more and more, to the uh, West and East Coast and other countries, that's something I, I definitely have in my vision going forward. Oh, and then, you know, as a result, what might happen as a result of all that, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you guys look at it, is your, your top ten might be flooded with New Japan guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there's a couple in there. Um, and do you see New Japan as well? Well, how do you view New Japan's uh, present in the United States and its future? You know, there are some people who already say um, it's the number two promotion in WWE in United States behind WWE. Do you see New Japan as potentially a competitor to WWE in the United States? I think at this point we're doing good as we're doing uh, as we're doing now in overseas. Uh, but I definitely do see us as different from WWE. So in that sense, I don't see us as needing to chase after that uh, number two or number one spot in that in that regard. So all our focus has to be is improving how fans see us. And in, in that will be successful no matter what. But I definitely don't see WWE as a competitor or as a, as a on the same level. This is a we're dealing with different situations with different, different products. What do you make of a, a lot of the stars from New Japan um, that have uh, found success in WWE in the last few years? In, so, in some cases, they were um, Americans who made their names over there or, or achieved a lot of success over there. Gallows and Anderson, AJ Styles, um, Finn Balor, who's European, but even um, a, a Japanese wrestler like Shinsuke Nakamura um, is is a huge star. He just headlined SummerSlam, competed for uh, the WWE Championship. Uh, what do you make of that? What are your thoughts on New Japan stars finding success in WWE? So when you look upon their success now, I see it as just, uh, you know, of course, it's only natural given, you know, the level that they wrestled at before they went there. So it's kind of a testament to, you know, the quality that we wrestle at here at New Japan, where you talk about the success of everybody that moved on to other places rather than failure or, or not doing so well. So for me, I look at their success as, as a great thing and as a testament to uh, what we do here at New Japan. Yeah. And uh, I, I've got to ask you, and I'm sure you, you get asked a lot, certainly when, when you do um, interviews with uh, American journalists, uh, what are the chances of you one day coming to WWE? Is is that something you'd be interested in? That's not the truth. I don't know. I had no idea, for example, Nakamura would be leaving. And so there's really no telling uh, what can happen. But, you know, just as much as I might feel the desire and the drive to 
be in a match oh. against Jinder or something of that level at SummerSlam like uh, Nakamura did. I might also want to jump into UFC. Uh, I might also want to go to ho- go to Hollywood and t- you know try my luck there. Uh, maybe the next James Bond. You never know. And then also I might desire to focus on you know the next challenge with Kenny or whoever may be here. So you know to be honest with you, simply don't know. Are you interested at all in fighting Floyd Mayweather? Boxing. <laughs> maybe maybe not boxing. I'll stick to it for it. <laughs> could could Mayweather withstand the Rainmaker? Rainmaker versus Rainmaker right there. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Let let me ask you a little bit about you know the the whole show. You said that you felt that what New Japan does is very different um, from WWE. But certainly a lot of the showmanship that people um, attribute to WWE is very much part of um, certainly your act, your entrance, uh, the music, the, the, the money raining down, the flashy robes, your look. Uh, there's very much a lot of sports entertainment. Can, can you talk a bit about that? How, how important a part of your act is all the stuff outside of, of the actual wrestling in the ring? So from what I can see, you know, gone are the days in Japan where you can just be the strongest and that will put you at the top. Um, it takes a little bit more, uh, not just being the strongest, but a little something else to grab the attention of, of Maybe not core pro wrestling fans, but just fans in general, to catch their eyes. So that's why you know, I, I enter the ring in the fashion that I do, wearing a robe that uh, you know shines the way it does. And you know, I can't see somebody in black trunks walking in and taking the same spot that I, I hold right now. It's just that time is gone. So um, that's kind of where I put it, where I'm also the, not only the strongest in the ring, but also able to grab the attention and mesmerize the fans in a way that I think is the way a champion should at this point. That's, that's really interesting. Um, how's your English coming along? So I am, I'm studying right now, but you know it's tough. Um, and I definitely know it's important, but on the, on the flip side, it's not like we do a lot of talking in the ring here at New Japan. It's mostly we speak through our actions. But at the same time, I definitely know that in order to communicate with fans, for example, and, and others overseas, that it's definitely an important skill that I need to work on. What was your um, experience like in the WWE locker room when you were in Los Angeles? Uh, who did you meet? How, uh, how did they interact with you? Uh, and what was that like? So I also went down to see SmackDown Live uh, as well, I think it was a dark show, but um, I was just seeing buddies, some old friends, um, guys that used to be at New Japan, and so when I was there, you know, it was, it was nice, they did try and sign me, but I did remember, I did remember to say no. So. Uh, but it was also a chance for me to see Nakamura, for example, at a house show and kind of absorb the fan reaction seeing him. And I realized, yeah, I guess that guy really is popular now. So it was a good, a good, a good, a good time, good experience. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, he definitely is popular. You do have some... some... I'm sorry. Also, uh, I did get a, a nice warm thank you from Seth Rollins uh, so that he can... Oh, uh, for, using, for using the, the Rainmaker, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he stole your gimmick. <laughs> you you do have some experience working in in the United States. You you were part of the TNA locker room as you mentioned um, for a little while. You know, suffice to say, you you uh, your success there was very limited. Uh, you you achieved more success when when you back to went back to New Japan. What are your memories of working um, for TNA? 
And, and do you hold any resentment um, toward the company for, for maybe not using you in, in the best way they could have? So, I mean, I, I'm aware of what's being, what's usually said as far as uh, I came back and became so successful and why didn't they use me? But in, in reality, I could only have, I only have good memories and good things uh, to say about TNA and my experience there. You know, maybe they didn't use me much, but then maybe that's because I needed to improve. And uh, so outside of matches, um, just living there and experiencing how they operate and how things work in America was just a great opportunity for me to learn. And it was a great learning experience. Um, and so, yeah, I came back here and the rest is history. But uh, one might say it was in part uh, thanks to that experience as well. That's interesting, yeah. Um, so, before we wrap up here, I did want to talk a little bit just about your wrestling style, your, your, uh, your arsenal, your moveset. I think one of the, the real amazing things about you is that uh, again, you're this world-class performer, always have these amazing matches, um, yet when, when you break down what you do in the ring, it's pretty simple stuff. I mean, your finisher, the, the Rainmaker clothesline is, is just a clothesline, you know, with uh, your, your, your dropkick is the most amazing dropkick in the business, but it's just a dropkick, and, and a lot of your moves are, are like that. They're very simple, but executed uh, just with precision. Can, can you talk a bit about that and uh, why it is that you have, have chosen to keep your offense um, so traditional and so simple? As far as the drop kick is concerned, uh, it was one of the first basic moves, obviously, that all wrestlers learned, and it was the first that I felt I mastered. Um, and to the point that these are simple moves, I think the fact that fans look at them in the way that they do, uh, that, that says something about the skill they're being performed at. So that is one of the reasons uh, I, I kind of went with that. It's not something complicated, but it still has the impact based on how well it's done. Um, as far as the Rainmaker, you know, to be honest, uh, when I was thinking about this move and training for it, uh, it came out as I was wrestling Nick Jackson, uh, one of the Young Bucks, doing uh, just training and thinking about what, 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 what can I do with this, you know, somewhat simple move and how can I elevate it. And so, again, these are moves I didn't think about uh, as being huge, you know, uh, legendary moves that fans all over the world are going to be amazed at. I just simply wanted to uh, execute them with the highest level of skill and power. Yeah. Yeah, and you do that. Yeah, it, it really is something to see. Um, so anyway, we'll we'll wrap up here. I, I did want to ask you if, if there's anything else you would want to uh, uh, tell fans, our readers. Uh, again, the reality is there are a lot of American fans who are going to pick up this magazine and not know who the guy is uh, on the cover. Um, so w what do you want to say to fans? What do you want them to know about you? And what do you want them to know about New Japan Pro Wrestling? So I'm sure there's going to be lots of fans uh, in America and overseas that are going to pick it up and, and not know who this guy is, obviously. Um, they'll be surprised and wondering who I am. And so I really do hope that they dig a little bit and check out New Japan and check out the roster here and then if that happens that would be something I would uh, consider an honor and then maybe again uh, you guys might be having a few more New Japan guys show up in that list towards the top five maybe even but yeah I just hope uh, it, it definitely will increase exposure and get them to know me a little bit a little bit better and then in uh, the same way it'll do this uh, have the same effect for New Japan that'll be great 
Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, anyway, uh, again, a real thrill and an honor to be able uh, to talk to you and um, to be uh, part of this historic issue, our first ever uh, Japanese number one ranked wrestler. Thank you so much um, for the, taking the time and congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. All right, we're back, and Dan, uh, there you go. Kazuchika Okada, the IWGP uh, heavyweight champion, uh, this year's number one ranked wrestler. First time ever we have ranked a number a, a Japanese wrestler number one in the PWI 500. Uh, didn't come without some debate, healthy debate, I'd say, among the PWI uh, team. What uh, what do you think of, of him being picked number one, and, and what do you think of kind of the, the broader significance of PWI picking a Japanese wrestler for that slot? Yeah, there's a lot to it. Number one, this is the first Japanese wrestler. So not Misawa, not Mudo, not some of the great that we've the greats that we've seen over the past you know 26, 27, 28 years. Uh, he's the first Japanese wrestler to to make it, but he's also the first wrestler from outside WWE, TNA, or WCW. So he's the first time that we've gone with somebody who's not on national TV in the U.S. Uh, with a U.S.-based promotion. Um, so it's in terms of him getting it, uh, number one, he had a fantastic year, uh, really capped with his matches against Kenny Omega that some are calling some of the greatest pro wrestling matches of all time. And uh, when you have a great match and you win that great match like you did at Wrestle Kingdom, then, you know, as much as, as Omega gets lauded, you know, you have to give the edge to Okada because he walked in as champion and walked out with the title. Um, and at the same time, WWE didn't really have any thoroughly dominant people. Um, Lesnar was the closest thing to dominant, but he had a, a less than part-time schedule. And even though he was dominant, he was humiliated by Bill Goldberg too. Mm -hmm. Um, nobody, not John Cena, not Roman Reigns, closest thing, maybe AJ Styles. Uh, but again, AJ, after losing the title fell off a little bit and especially having losses to Ellsworth is as controversial as those were. Uh, but nobody from WWE really stood head and shoulders above the pack. Certainly nobody from Ring of Honor or, or Global Force either. And we looked over to Japan and thought, you know, if, if we're ever going to do this, this is the year to do it. And uh, Okada, after a relatively short debate, uh, was the consensus pick. Yeah, and I remember um, those words being spoken almost verbatim in, in our, uh, our meeting with the whole PWI team and Stu. And, uh, you know, this is something we've talked about doing for a long time. When, when Tanahashi was uh, on top, he was always in that mix. Um, and to his credit, our, our publisher, Stu Sachs, the boss, uh, always said, yeah, I mean, that, that's on the table and uh, the year may come that we put a Japanese wrestler at the top. But also being real realistic, there are some serious considerations um, that, that come with something like that. The reality is that we are an American wrestling uh, magazine that primarily caters to mainstream uh, American wrestling fans. And um, the fact is, there's a whole lot of people who are going to uh, go through newsstand and see the PWI 500 and not know who that guy is on the cover. Um, and even that was a discussion. What, what, what do we do for the cover? Do we go back to kind of the earlier the collage uh, right yeah. the collage ones um and we didn't and and i think it's fantastic and the cover is great uh, if you haven't seen it yet um and and it took a lot of things falling into place uh but we were able to shoot um okada with uh some old issues of uh, the pwi 500 fanned out in his hand uh, posing with them at the um, New Japan's LA show a couple months back. So a fantastic, really great, great looking cover. And as you said, it was just kind of the perfect storm. Um, on one hand, there wasn't that head and shoulders above everybody else American wrestler who was the clear runaway uh, number one for all the reasons you said. Some, some guys just had off years, guys like AJ who are fantastic, uh, largely competed in the mid card for most of the year. Uh, you know, Lesnar, there was the, the inactivity issue. Uh, so for, for all kinds of reasons, there was not a clear-cut number one. And at the same time, I mean, that's not to take away. Uh, it, it's not at all that Okada wins this by uh, default or anything like that. He had just a historic year. Um, and what, what another consider, consideration that always comes up, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, is uh, 
the the fact that Japanese wrestling is just different than than uh, WWE and American wrestling, and I and I'm not talking about um, the style so much, but the scheduling and and the reality is if you go over the 12 months, there's not a whole lot of singles matches. Um, I I I don't know that Okada had 20 singles matches in the whole year, uh, and a, a WWE wrestler can work that in a month. Um, and yeah. that's just the way they do things differently outside of their, their major shows. Um, they typically, uh, put their talent in tag team matches. I think it's a good strategy, kind of save their body and save the wear and tear on them. Uh, but because of that, you don't have that laundry list of successful defenses. Uh, but even that said, Okada was a very much prolific champion, um, with, by their standards, a heaping load of, of uh, title defenses against a very much uh, a wide range, differing opponents. And uh, not only did he, he win those matches, which certainly counts in the criteria, but he looked so great. I mean, you could talk about the, the Omega matches, uh, but he had fantastic matches with a range of opponents, um, Shibata and right. uh, so many others, uh, that, you know, it... It is a historically good year for um, Okada. I mean, I, I think he really cemented himself as an all-time great. Yeah, agreed. And he, he faced, like you said, a diverse variety of competition. Um, you know, knock on wood, he, he still he still got the title. You know, we're, we're always worried about the PWI curse. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that we named somebody. Uh, you know, The Miz, for example. You know, we named The Miz, and by the time the magazine came out, he was down in the undercard and everything else. And so uh, hopefully, you know, uh, he, he, hopefully the best part of his year isn't over yet, but it's really a, a tribute to everything he's accomplished over the past 12 months and really a, you know, a, an honest assessment of where New Japan Pro Wrestling is. That New Japan has, has risen so much globally that uh, their top guy can be considered as a, um, you know, number one in, in the PWI 500, you know, in the United States. And and not just globally, um, but just here in the United States, clearly over the last year, New Japan has um, really increased uh, its footprint with uh, the, the establishment of a U.S. title and some U.S. shows that they've run and um, their... Uh, what's the, the network access, the access show really taken off. Uh, and you know, it, it's, it's sort of feeling more and more that, uh, like they're an, an American presence, right? I mean, they're, they're really, um, in the mix. Uh, and maybe that has to do with TNA slash GFW really dropping off and, uh, Ring of Honor is doing very well. Uh, but, but I feel like you know, maybe not as talked about. They don't have the, the, the buzz that they had in past years. In, in other ways, other metrics are really up for them. Um, but I, I think it's created this opening for New Japan. And, uh, you know, part of it is, I think, uh, strategy and business dealings. They've, they've really kind of gained a foothold in the United States. And uh, the other, maybe more important part of this, is they've really set the standard for wrestling excellence um, over the last year. And it's not just... Um, Okada or or even Omega. I mean, you see uh, the uh, the G1 Climax tournament they just had. Um, I mean, they were having fantastic uh, blowout matches uh, every night. So uh, yeah, New Japan yeah, is very much on a roll. Super Juniors. Yep. Yeah, the best of the Super Juniors tournament every year is is amazing, and yeah, it, it's just really a impressive uh, promotion that really pulls out all the stops for its big shows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think this keeps going? Because, I mean, the one uh, we've already started talking about the uh, the achievement awards for the end of the year, which different than the 500. These are selected by fans. But um, in an issue that we've, we're working on now, we start to put some potent, potential contenders out there, the ballot for, for folks to pick from. And uh, even there, we kind of run into the same issue is who are some wrestler of the year uh, candidates? And again, it, it, Okada seems to be um, the front runner. Uh, so is it possible he makes history again? Can we see a Japanese wrestler for the first time uh, be the number one ranked PWI 500 wrestler and then in the same year be the uh, wrestler of the year? It is possible, certainly. I mean, he, like you said, he'd have to be considered a front runner. But what I've seen... I remember this happening a couple of years ago with Sasha Banks. Uh, Sasha Banks uh, was number two, I believe, in the PWI Female 50. Um, and 
she kind of hit the roof. She tweeted, some other people tweeted. She was having these great match of the year bouts against Bailey and everything. Um, but the thing is, in our logic, when we rank the female 50 is, yes, she had two great match of the year matches against Bailey, but she lost them. She, yeah. she lost them both. So how can you say that she should be number one if she lost both of those matches? Yet, what happened during the, uh, the voting for woman of the year, Sasha Banks won. And I think that could happen here where Kenny Omega might actually get more popular vote from the fans um, simply because he's very charismatic. Not that Okada isn't, but he, he's a natural native English speaker. He's got a very strong fan base in the U.S., and I can see Omega possibly getting more votes in the uh, the fan balloting for the Achievement Awards than Okada. Yeah, and and since the grading period for the 500, he's won um, the the inaugural U.S. title for New Japan, and he's beat Okada in their uh, third match. Uh, so so yeah, he's certainly certainly moved up a couple of ticks just from uh, when this list was uh, put together. Why don't we go through uh, the rest of the top ten? I'll just go through them, and then we can go back to to anything that we think is. Uh, significant. Uh, number two this year, AJ Styles, the highest ranked WWE wrestler. Uh, number three is Kevin Owens coming off of his uh, very lengthy universal, well, I should say very, but relatively lengthy uh, universal title reign. I think he was, I think he held a world title in WWE longer than anybody else in the grading period. Uh, number four, Roman Reigns. Number five, we were just talking about him, Kenny Omega. Actually, we, we moved him around some, even um, while we were putting the list together. Uh, he was a little lower at some point, and then we realized he, he really deserved to be uh, a little higher. Um, number six, Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, seven, Dean Ambrose. Number eight, Samoa Joe. Number nine, Bobby Roode. And number 10, uh, The Miz. I'll go ahead and give my thought on one of the biggest headlines Um of, of this top 10, uh, and it was my take. We, we each get to write a take uh, uh, for the issue, and it was my take. And it is not uh, anybody who is on that top 10, but somebody who is not on the top 10, and that is John Cena for the first time in, uh, I think, 13 years since he was uh, first ranked in the top 10 back in 2004. He drops off of the top 10 uh, and actually doesn't come in until number 19, uh, I gotta say, I'm not crazy about that. I, I, I think that might be a little low for him, uh, but that's what we uh, arrived at. What do you think the significance of that is? Well, and like you said, just on the promo on Raw this week, um, you know, well, number one, he, he proposed, he took time off, he got married, so he, he wasn't as, as active, and Roman Reigns called him out on being a part-timer, although, I mean, certainly, you know, if John Cena is your part-timer, then what does that make Brock Lesnar your champion, yeah, right. you know, who's... It seems they're much more than him. Um, but uh, he did admittedly take some time off, and he, as Cena said, he opened the show at, at SummerSlam. And he has gone five years without a WrestleMania main event. He's made the, the decision, really, to, um, to kind of drop down a little bit in the card. Now, he can always, he's always a main event talent. I believe he had a, if I'm not mistaken, he had a WWE title run in there uh, yeah, briefly, he, didn't he? Yeah, he uh, had his during, 16th during title, yeah, winning it at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, a kind of a forgettable one in, in the overall scope of things, but he's always on the cusp. He's always there. It's just that um, a, a year like this for anyone other than John Cena would be considered a banner year. But because John Cena has set the standard so high, the bar so high that uh, he's kind of judged against his own accomplishments. So he, he falls down a little bit further than, uh, you know, than some people might might expect. Yeah, yeah. What are some other stories that, that jump out at you just from that uh, top 10? I mean, here's another one. The Miz, uh, back in the mix, you know, we were just talking about him, maybe one of the more notorious number one picks that we ever made, um, and kind of worked his way back near the top, and I think uh, very much a, a deserving top 10 ranked wrestler. Yeah, it's certainly, and he really established himself um, with, you know, his, his promo ability has gone to the next level. Uh, he can talk. The fans have finally kind of, not finally, I mean, it's, it's been gradual, but for so long he was so universally disliked and, and disrespected. And now people realize that, you know, he's not the kind of wrestler, as he said, that Daniel Bryan is, but he's, you can't argue with the success he's had. And uh, that's really kind of, um, bared itself out and, and resulted in him making the, the top 10. Uh, the other interesting thing that I see on this is how the NXT title has become 
arguably the second or third most important title or prestigious title in the U.S. Um, Nakamura, um, he really got his spot based on his accomplishments in NXT uh, and and everything he had done. And same with Bobby Roode, you know, who beat Nakamura and and got top ten that way, um, which is higher than uh, anybody such as, you know, Ring of Honor champion, Global Force champion or anything along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess the highest we've got a Ring of Honor wrestler is 14, Adam Cole, who wore the ROH title. Now, also a WWE contract. Now in NXT, yeah. Yep. And uh, we've got Christopher Daniels, who also wore the title at uh, 17. And uh, the highest Global Force wrestler slash TNA would be Lashley at 18, uh, just ahead of John Cena. I'm not crazy about that one, I got to say. But but Lashley uh, has looked great. Uh, in in Global Forest, there's no question. And I think as a whole, the, the company has looked a lot better. You know, uh, one, one of the issues we've run into in ranking TNA guys in, in recent years is uh, the lack of, of uh, activity, not just by each wrestler, but as the company. There just weren't running shows. Uh, and they've stepped it up a little bit more in, in the last year or so. Um, it, it was easier to have a guy pretty high up, and, and clearly Lashley has uh, been kind of head and shoulders above everybody um, in Global Force. Uh, what else can we look at here? Uh, number 11, just outside of the top 10. Um, somebody, frankly, I, I wouldn't have mind seeing in the top 10, and that's Neville, who, uh, for my money, is probably the most dominant champion in WWE uh, all year. And, and the argument I made for him is... You know, people will think, oh, but that's 205 Live, that's Cruiserweight Division, they're, you know, not particularly important, not showcased that much. Uh, but but one thing, for, for all the things that they haven't done right um, with the the, uh, the 205 Division, I think they've done an okay job of treating it as a, a true weight division in kind of the purest sense of the word, that uh, it it's not that they're, uh, at least as, as far as Neville is concerned, that he's lesser than the rest of, of the company or the heavyweights. It's that he competes in a different weight division. You know, he fights guys who are smaller and, um, you know, I, I think in, uh, you know, UFC has pound for pound rankings and their right. smallest champion, uh, Demetrius Johnson is usually at the top of that list because of how dominant he is. And I sort of look at Neville the same way. I think for pound for pound for his division He's just been uh, an MVP. I mean, really, since winning the title early this year, he has uh, shined, Actually, dropped it briefly, that, where, where but, was, but got right where, back. Where was MVP? Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, well, speaking of that, where was MVP ranked? <laughs> I don't know. You would know better I than I would. Is, I forget. I forget. Yeah, <laughs> don't I, make I, me go through 500 MVP, people. Those are totally different guys. <laughs> <laughs> so no, uh, You're absolutely right. And we might even get to a point we're just coming off the big McGregor, Mayweather fight and everything. I mean, it would be interesting. I don't think we're there now, but maybe we can get to a day where a junior heavyweight, a cruiserweight, a 205 guy can actually be the, the main event, um, you know, because it's not that they're worse. It's just that WWE has always presented the bigger guys on top. And, you know, in, in boxing and UFC, the undercard or the, the lighter guys, I, I slip by saying undercard, the lighter guys can be the headliners. And uh, Neville could be the guy to take 205 or take the cruiserweight title to that next level. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with women. You know, there was a time where it was unthinkable that you would have women anywhere near a main event position. And uh, thanks to Charlotte and a lot of the women uh, in WWE, they have kind of transformed the way uh, women are looked at. And hopefully we're seeing some of that. I mean, they've got a ways to go and, and they're not doing the Neville or the or the division any favors by automatically slotting the the Cruiserweight Championship um, in the, the pre-show a position at SummerSlam, which I thought was a shame. Um, but, you know, Enzo Amore, Amore, one of the more popular stars in WWE, maybe gives that division a little bit of a boost, if, if not for the work rate, just in terms of star power and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I think Tozawa has done a, a fantastic job as well. So, uh, yeah, hopefully things are, are looking up over there for the Cruiserweight division. Um, what else can we point to uh, here? Well, you know, we, we've talked a lot about um, uh, UK stars and independent stars over the last year and how uh, they've sort of impacted the the 500. Uh, let's see, what is the earliest indie star that we have here? Would it be Will Ospreay? I don't know if he, I, I almost don't even think of him as an independent star anymore, but he comes in at 21 uh, this year. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, Johnny Mundo, now part of uh, Global Force at 24. Uh, what do you think about kind of overall how, how the indies fared this year? Well, it depends on, on how you're qualifying indies. Um, I think that we have a lot more, uh, we'll put it this way, we always have a, a big Japanese uh, presence because wrestling is traditionally very big in Japan. There's a lot of companies there and, and a lot of people to consider. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a little bit more of a Lucha influence that I saw really based on the popularity of Lucha Underground. And here were these guys who were not just because Lucha Underground is on TV in the U.S., but these were now guys who were getting out of Mexico and working all over the independent scene, guys like Daga and, and others who were really because they, they were launched to a different level, um, uh, Pentagon Jr. And, and others. And we had a little bit more Lucha. Uh, this year was definitely Europe. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously the, the U.K. tournament that WWE did was big on that. But it's also a sign of everything that's been going on with progress and just happening in Europe in general. Um, so there's a lot of influx or a lot of European wrestlers who have been who are veterans who have not gotten the national spotlight that, until now, uh, which is reflected in the 500. And what that means is a lot of regional guys, um, you know, in the say the Gulf Coast or down in these kind of traditional territories have been bumped out um, because, you know, the, these other guys are, are getting the spotlight from progress and from WWE's cruiserweight uh, tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I sorry, mean, I'm, looking, I'm looking at, at kind of the higher ranked indie guys and yeah, I mean, it's uh, Zach Sabre Jr. at 26, as I said, Will Ospreay at 21, Pete Dunn at 29, uh, Marty Skrull at 31 and, and they all have one thing in common, right? Uh, so uh, yeah, you're right. A, a good year, I'd say for uh, the UK. Um, let's talk about maybe some folks who had a little bit, uh, disappointing years. Uh, one guy who, who jumps out at number 13, Randy Orton, uh, a guy who won the Royal Rumble and won a world title in the evaluation period and somehow doesn't make it into the, the top 10 and won a world title at WrestleMania, uh, uh, no less. Uh, but clearly there's a situation where, uh, just the stats don't really tell the story of a guy's year. Uh, because despite those accomplishments, I think Randy Orton is having one of the worst years of his career. May, I don't know if necessarily the worst, but certainly losing the, the title to the then unherald, unheralded Jinder Mahal was, was a blemish. Losing, as he did, I mean, he should have had a little bit more of a dominant feud against Bray Wyatt when he finally made that turn. And it was just kind of blah. You know, the matches were pretty terrible. Uh, Punjabi prison match is pretty atrocious. Um, but even Batman, for me, there's that, that Orton was damaged so badly, in my opinion, at last year's SummerSlam. Uh, yeah. When Brock Lesnar just opened him up and they stopped the match, and that was it. And, you know, and it just made him look uh, so weak. And I don't think he's ever quite recovered from that. And certainly having him lose the title to Jinder Mahal and everything, it, that doesn't help. Uh, so there's been some bad booking all the way around with Randy Orton. And I think that's really been the thing that's hurt him more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And Ginger was a, a tough one to rank because when we were putting this list together, he was uh, already world champion and I think had it already for several weeks, maybe more than a month. Um, but it's Ginger Mahal, you know, and, and uh, even for most of the valuation period, he was about as low in WWE's cards um, as you could. So you got to kind of find that that sweet spot. And uh, he ended and, up coming in. And that's funny in. is. Good. Yeah, and putting together some of the um, the bios of some of the guys like, uh, let's say, Zack Ryder or, you know, lower card WWE guys. Um, you know, as I was trying to find some highlights, I could almost invariably be like, ah, oh, he scored several pinfalls over Jinder Mahal. Okay, <laughs> there we go. That's yeah. a highlight. Yeah. Uh, because really, for the first half of the year, Jinder Mahal was losing to everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, certainly winning the title helped and, and everything, but he, he had a, uh, a big second half and not so good of a first half. And he came in uh, number 30 this year. I'm trying to find his uh, ranking for last year, see what how big a ju uh, jump that was. Oh, God. Uh, let's see. God, could it be that he wasn't ranked? He might not have been because he was uh, inactive for a lot of it, right? He was released, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is It is possible. Yeah, I don't see him coming up at all. Wow. Okay, that might maybe I'm missing him, but, but I mean, I'd be shocked if he was in the top 200, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a story. Um, what else can we talk about? Well, what, let's get back into the top 10 and um, WWE's representation in it. As I said, the highest ranked wrestler uh, for WWE this year at number two is AJ Styles. He 
once held the number one position, um, actually, when he was in TNA. Uh, so right. is this a fair ranking for him? I mean, maybe some people will actually think it's a little too high, given that, you know, he actually has been the mid-card most of the year. I guess he did wear the world title during the evaluation period. Um, actually, I think his entire world title reign was in the evaluation period. So that's kind of the first half. The second half, you're mostly talking that U.S. title kind of territory. Uh, but also, you know, arguably the, the best wrestler in WWE and, and one of the best in the world. So uh, that counts for something. W- what do you think of his spot here? Yeah, it could be said that he's a little high. But certainly he did have the world title. He, he really kind of helped... SmackDown take on its its own identity, SmackDown Live, and, and became the you know the, the face that runs the place and everything. Um, and, and he was very good in the feud with Dean Ambrose. Uh, he, he really kind of took a step down after the Royal Rumble and and kind of got in the U.S. title picture, like you mentioned. Uh, but I think the other thing to keep in mind is is I went through the top ten, um, even talking to, to Jim Ross the other night. Um, my first instinct was, yeah, you know, and looking at some of these now, maybe they some do seem a little bit high. It, uh, just based on the number. Uh, but then you think, well, who should be above that? Yeah, that's it. And there's really not a lot of people. I mean, Undertaker is gone, uh, apparently. But in any case, he didn't have enough matches to qualify. Same with Goldberg. The Triple H was huge at, at WrestleMania and everything, but he's he didn't have enough matches to qualify. Shane McMahon had a featured spot at Mania, <laughs> and you know he's, he's not, you know, whatever. You know? So, I mean, yeah, there's there's that upper tier Lesnar. Obviously, we do have him included, but he he being a, a part time guy, we really can't make him one of the top spots. Or at least we did. We didn't feel he deserved that uh, over guys who worked 250 or more matches. He's 25. Year. Uh, tw- 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So um, yeah, when you look at it that way, who deserves to be above uh, AJ? Um, you know, Seth Rollins is another guy who who could be a little bit higher up, but. He had some some injury problems as well, and, and was kind of hit or miss for a little while. And, yeah. Uh, and again, he he never recaptured the the world title or anything. He's still been stuck kind of in the same uh, mid card spot. I think he technically, oh maybe this was the last evaluation period. Probably was. He he did have the world title. Uh, it would have been the end of the last evaluation period for like a minute. Remember, he beat Reigns for it, and yeah. then uh, yeah, Ambrose cashed in. Yeah, but yeah, I think that fell into last year. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's sort of an indictment on WWE's inability to create stars, uh, really top stars, and, um, you know, really stands in contrast to this year's number one, Okada, who is so clearly the number one guy in in New Japan and treated as such and um, uh, protected. Uh, yes, he suffered that loss, uh, and he suffered some losses. It's not unusual in in a tournament setting and against uh, Omega, but but part of that is strategy too, and building to uh, their fourth match, which he talked a little bit about uh, in our interview. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when your top guy uh, in this ranking, it you know, it's really problematic, you know, because everybody that uh, is in the top ten from WWE is uh, really pretty flawed, you know, maybe more than, than they should be. Uh, what do we talk about number four? And, and certainly he was making uh, news uh, last night in that promo with uh, John Cena that you alluded to. Roman Reigns, um, a former number one. Was he last year's number one? He was. Yes, yes. that's right, yeah. Uh, not as good a cover of the PWI 500, I would say, as, as this year's. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a unique bit of abstract art. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but number four, and, uh, you know, if he doesn't beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania, uh, I think he drops down quite a bit in the top ten. But that is such an accomplishment that um, it, it certainly boosts him up some. Uh, what do you think of, of where Roman Reigns is on the list and, and kind of the year he's had? I think he's just in the right spot where he is. Uh, I mean, he was WWE's guy. Um, you know, the guy, whatever. Uh, he had the wellness suspension. That's right. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, so he missed a little bit of time with that. He, he lost the world title. He lost some momentum, uh, but recovered in time to beat The Undertaker. Um, and then, but other than that, I mean, the Brown Strowman uh, stuff, uh, you know, it, he should be beating Braun Strowman. And I know you want to make uh, Strowman the, the threat to Lesnar. You want to make him the, the guy... <laughs> 
but uh, he's Roman Reigns isn't the guy who should be uh, you know putting Strowman over. Uh, I wouldn't think. Uh, neither should Samoa Joe, to be honest. But um, I still think both those guys have gas in the tank in the main event level. But um, I don't know. Reigns uh, now that he's lining up for the Cena match, uh, we'll see if that can really kind of take him to a different level. Uh, whether he decides to go full heel or, or whatever comes out of it, uh, it might just be enough to kind of give him the momentum that he lost uh, last summer with that uh, suspension. Yeah, yeah. Crazy that they're doing that match on basically uh, one week's build at, uh, you know, No Mercy, the September pay-per-view that most people don't even know what it is. Uh, just unthinkable, right. but uh, th- that's a discussion for another day. Um, let's see, jumping around uh, the list. Uh, Tetsuya Naito, who, who at some point, I think he was in top 10 last year, is at uh, number 12, just outside the top 10. I, I think he might be back in that top 10 uh, next year after after his tournament win, and we'll see what happens at the uh, the Tokyo Dome. Um, Bray Wyatt, fifteen. I mean, a guy, another guy who won the world title. You know, on paper has had a fair amount of success, but I, I don't think it really kind of translates to sort of reality. Um, nothing he does really translates to reality. I would say uh, Seth Rollins, uh, a past number one, is at sixteen. Uh, what else? Chris Jericho. I mean, he, do you know who's uh, kind of the the oldest veteran? It's probably not Jericho, uh, but you know, this is twenty seven um, years for him now that he's been uh, added no. and still very well, much in the mix. Yeah, there's still quite a few guys who have him beat, um, but one for sure is, uh, uh, I mean, Jushin Liger again. Sure. Is one guy who's made the list every year. Uh, Jushin Liger has made the PWI 500 every single year since 1991. That's amazing. And he's Mark. the only one who's done that. Yeah, I mean, he had brain surgery at one point. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really incredible. Yeah, yeah. And any other fun stories like that that you, you could think of of uh, uh, historic placements? Well, one is number five hundred, and and again, always kind go. of uh, historic for for different reasons. And we've had a lot of uh, not intentionally, but sometimes they just kind of work out that way. Um, infamous characters and personalities at number five hundred. Uh, this year's is Dan Richards. What can you tell us about Dan Richards? The progressive liberal. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's, a, he's been working around in, in kind of Appalachia for a little while, and he, he developed this, this gimmick, uh, basically doing the kind of Colonel De Beers shtick, but as in, instead of a far right wing, doing far left wing. Um, and uh, he's just infuriating the, the Trump supporters in, in the South. Uh, he's a big, you know, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton guy, and, and talks about the liberal agenda and everything, and the fans just love to hate him. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, he, he's, and he's not, just a gimmick. He's been wrestling for a while. He's, he's a big guy. He's, you know, he's got some experience and some uh, credentials as well as, as kind of a really neat gimmick. Uh, but he's also picking up a ton of uh, mainstream media. Uh, he's been reported on by, I think it was the uh, New York Times and uh, Vice TV did a bit on him. And uh, he's really kind of uh, becoming a bit of, a, of an attraction. You know, uh, we'll see if it's a, a fad or not. But I thought that he's certainly a guy who was deserving of that, uh, that anchor position in the 500. And and that counts for something. I mean, uh, it really does. When when uh, you, you look at the criteria, obviously the you know, most important is is the win loss records. But there's other stuff that is uh, a little kind of harder to quantify. It's stuff like influence. And uh, an indie guy who's getting some mainstream pub, uh, that's worth something, you know. So that that's part of a wrestler's uh, success over his career is <clears throat> the gimmick, the character that he comes up with, and, and how well he executes it. And this guy's onto something, you know. Kudos to him. Um, all right, Dan, thank you so much. Uh, you know, an, another one in the books. Uh, thanks in large part to you. You, you really carry a, a lot of the weight here. So uh, on behalf of the whole PWI team, I extend my thanks um, to you. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank uh, I'm you. really proud of this issue. I'm, I'm sure you're really proud of it, too. I, I think it's awesome uh, that that we're able to do something uh, historic after all these years of doing the 500. Um a first for us in in having, uh, as you said, not just a Japanese wrestler, but a a non WWE, non uh, uh, nationally televised United States wrestler um, at number one. And it really speaks to what a uh, a a rare kind of talent uh, Okada is. Yeah, and then the uh, the next step is uh, I'm already at work with this year's female fifty, and. Uh... 
we're going to open that up this year as well. Normally we do uh, Canada and uh, the United States primarily, with some exceptions if a, you know, some like Madison Eagles has been the Shimmer champion, so she held a prominent title, so we included her. But for the most part, it was uh, women who were based in the U.S. and Canada, and this year we're opening it up. So we're bringing in some Joshis from Japan, some people from England, so it's going to be a really big change, and uh, I think you're going to get to really see some uh, incredible uh, women wrestlers uh, making their debut in the pages of PWI in that issue. Yeah, and it's got to be harder and harder, I'd imagine, every year to just keep it at 50. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I could easily do the, the top 100 and have and have more uh, deserving people, um, you know, on the outside. So it's going to be a real challenge this year, and uh, we'll see how it all comes together. Yeah, yeah, that I believe is the the next issue, right? This is the October issue, so would that yeah. be the I don't know what it would be, the February issue, something like that. Um, but yeah, that's the one after this one. So uh, yeah, again, please subscribe. Don't miss any one of them. Before that, I mean, uh, soon after that will be the the Achievement Awards, another kind of destination uh, issue. Uh, but absolutely, you do not want to miss the PWI 500. As I said in our last episode, you really could, um, over the course of a year, uh, be going through the magazine over and over again and not fully kind of devour everything that's in there. I think it's the, the best piece of work that we do uh, all year. Uh, you know, you're, I'm, we're not just talking... A list. This isn't, you know, a uh, an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of names. There are bios for every one of these these 500 wrestlers. Um, uh, the top 10 get a, a little more space. We we talk about their path to uh, uh, whatever their ranking is. You know, you, you, we have historic their ranking um, for for all their career. We talk about their uh, top five highlights of the year, and uh, then kind of a, an overview of why they are ranked where they are. Uh, but we've got you know really fascinating, deep information. All of us uh, really do our homework. For the 500, and uh, I, I think it is just uh, as good a piece of wrestling journalism as you'll find anywhere all year. Uh, and not just the list. There's there's all kinds of other fun stuff. Uh, directories. There's our uh, assorted takes. What was I said? My take was on uh, kind of the the history and John Cena dropping off of uh, the top ten. What was your take on this year? Mine was actually um, a couple times where I think that we, as an editorial team, uh, screwed the pooch and, and <laughs> should have gone with a uh, should have gone with a Japanese wrestler uh, and didn't. And and the big one, one of two or three that I talked about was uh, I believe 1993, the Dean Malenko year, and how that really should have been Misawa. Um, but I, I talk about it as my opinion and, and how sometimes you know history will will prove that we are right in our choice, and sometimes it'll prove that we are wrong. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I feel very good about history proving we were right on on this one. Um, so, uh, yeah, I very much think we got this one right, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it uh, a lot more in uh, the weeks to come. And uh, of course, you'll be doing so with Jim Ross. So fans uh, should go check that out, the Ross Report. Uh, Dan, thank you so much. Thank you, and uh, we'll be back soon. 